Hello, and welcome to Freudian Flex. I'm your host, Sonia Freeman, and our guest today is Dr. Randall Paulson. Dr. Paulson is an adult psychiatrist and psychoanalyst in Boston. He has had a private practice in psychoanalysis for 40 years. He is an assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and a faculty member in the Department of Psychiatry at Brigham and Women's Hospital. He served as the president of the Boston Psychoanalytic Institute from 2004 to 2008. He also served as the director of primary care psychiatry in Healthcare Associates at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, where he helped train primary care physicians in mental health. He has a particular interest in integrative medicine. He trained as an instructor in mindfulness-based stress reduction at UMass Medical Center and taught at the Osher Center for Integrative Medicine. Thank you for listening, and please welcome Dr. Randall Paulson. Welcome back, everyone. I just want to start by thanking everybody who listened to the first episode of the podcast. I've gotten a lot of support for the project and some really great feedback, and I really appreciate it. Since we don't come out at the same time every week, uh, I encourage you to follow us on Instagram at FreudianFlex. Today, our guest is Dr. Randall Paulson, and we are talking about the subject of online dating and dating apps. So I'm going to just start out of the gates mm -hmm. by asking Dr. Paulson that in general, <clears throat> what is your sense of online dating from your clinical experience? What do you think about it? What have you seen? From a um, psychoanalytic perspective, it's a, you know, there's a, you create a persona and a profile. It's kind of a sort of a public self that you want to see in analytic terms people might think of that as a false self or a presented self and um and that's what people see and then you you've got your you know more detail on some apps and uh it becomes uh kind of a, a way of attracting people to a certain image of yourself mm -hmm. um and uh uh, one young friend of mine uh, had an encounter with somebody who he actually later ended up marrying. So, you know, it does work out. But uh, she had a picture of herself on the on the profile. I think this was Match.com and uh, um, wanted him to tell her, uh, you know, how beautiful she was in person mm -hmm. compared to her picture. And he said, well, I'm not going to give you a number. <laughs> <laughs> and she laughed. And in a sense, that was kind of the beginning of um, a more personal, three-dimensional, kind of humorous yeah. exchange that they, uh, that, you know, kind of evolved into uh, what seems like a creative uh, young marriage, as far as I can tell. Mm. Um, so I think it's... It's what is these days in terms of a public square. I think once people are out of college and grad school, you know, if they don't meet somebody at work or through, you know, friends of friends that are fixing them up, and it's kind of what people have. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so it's it's both interesting to me, and um, I find myself, uh, you know, learning from my patience about it and you know people who've enjoyed doing that and it feels like a first step sometimes for a I mean in a, in a therapy practice sometimes I've got 
people who've been really withdrawn for a number of years and are wondering how to meet somebody. And uh, so, you know, I encourage them to write a profile and try out match.com or, you know, various ones. I, I <laughs> The mother of a friend of my son's I met on the sidewalk today, um, hadn't seen her for a long time and her son just got married and he's a friend of uh, my son's and uh, I said, well, how did they meet? She said, well, they met on Bumple. What's Bumple? Bumple! It's a pretty popular uh, online dating app in San Francisco. So, uh, uh, you know, there's just something happening uh, almost every other day in terms of some new site or well, I first have to tell you that it's it's actually called Bumble. Oh, is it? But I like Bumble better, so I think we Maybe should advocate for a change. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, people bump into each other. <laughs> Just right bump right Bumble, in. yeah. Maybe that'll be another one someday, sometime. So you say that you tend to encourage people who need maybe a... A little boost little you bit. often encourage them to hop online mm -hmm. to check out the dating apps mm -hmm. are there certain characteristics in patients that you're more likely to recommend online dating to um i don't know there i wouldn't say there i mean some of the things that come to mind are uh people who have um or shy i've been shy about their appearance Maybe some overweight people, um, people who've been kind of um, living alone, uh, and, and I think some people who you know they have very successful jobs, and people take them, you know, they go out with friends, but um, no, no part of their social network has provided a you know viable mm -hmm. uh, date and. Um, so sometimes it's a process to sort of say, well, you know, I'll read your profile and encourage them to write one and they can bring it in. And so to kind of use the writing of a profile as a piece of self-description, you know, and um, that sometimes helps them put something out there. Um, so for a shy person, yeah. you feel like it's helpful to even just see their own description of themselves. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's what... You know, in a way, it's it's quite that's quite a, a, a tight juncture with uh, psychotherapy because one of the things that's happening in psychotherapy is a person's kind of getting to know themselves mm -hmm. by listening to what they say to this, you know, unusual relationship person who's it's very private and confidential, and but it's maybe once, twice, three times a week, so it becomes very involved in, in intimate and personal and um so i think one of the things that happens particularly with maybe shy people or people who are kind of that's sort of the last milestone and kind of growing up that they haven't really found an intimate partner um but um so through the the conversation of psychotherapy they're sort of you know, they'll come back and say, I'm surprised I said that. I hadn't really known I thought that or something like that. That mm. There's a process of self-discovery that's happening in, the, mm. in both what they say and what I say. And, um, you know, the sense of they're talking to somebody who actually is listening, I, I would say, probably more carefully and with more focus on them than any other relationship they have. 
and um, so that the, the therapy itself becomes a place of um, self-realization and getting to know oneself and feeling a little more three-dimensional mm. as a person as, as a self and so you know sometimes I think the dating app comes uh, along as an action item you know we've been working here for a year or six months or whatever and uh, you know and they'll say I'm, I'm think I'm ready to you know try and uh, so they're but I think the process of my getting to know them and they're getting to feel known is often a prelude to um, going on a you know writing a profile mm -hmm. and how do you navigate with a shy person who has trouble knowing themselves how do you navigate the inevitable rejection that they might feel on um, these apps? Well, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I can't actually... The only, the only experience I've had is not so much uh, people being rejected, but people uh, having um, unpleasant experiences with mm. who, the, who the, um, the date turned out to be. Mm. Um, so um, it may be just, you know, the, the nature of my particular practice um, that I haven't had people, um, you know, coming, limping back to the office saying, you know, they never called me back or, mm. you know, I, we had one date and that was it. Uh, I know that happens, but I, I don't have a recent or even rememberable experience mm -hmm. of that. No, it's interesting that committing your time to something and then mm -hmm. being disappointed mm -hmm. and being engaged enough with the online presence mm -hmm. that you think it's worth meeting up with them mm -hmm. uh, elicits a certain amount of expectation and excitement. And the disappointment from that mm -hmm. is a lot more than this nebulous idea that Oh, a yeah. bunch of people maybe didn't swipe right on you, but mm -hmm. a bunch of people also probably did. Yeah. 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 Well, that's true. And that, that is, um, I mean, that's that's kind of uh, very much, as we say, uh, grist for the mill to talk about the experience of mm. uh, someone not calling them back or, you know, following up, something, nothing coming of it, feeling rejected. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, it's often, um, um, it's a, to, to be able to come back to your therapist and say what the experience was and what, how you thought it would play out and, you know, the mystery of another person not uh, being interested or following up, you know, I'll often say, well, you know, too bad for them. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, you know, it's sort of, I think it's, I think it's hard. Um, you know, we're living in a culture, um, it's, you know, somewhat famous, almost meme-like uh, book called Bowling Alone. That was, it came out of a Harvard sociology uh, mm. department maybe 15 years ago. A lot of the group, group life uh, in our society has, has kind of uh, diminished, I would say. Mm. Yeah, people don't have 
and the guys study bowling teams and the whole kind of you know, sort of group stuff. And yeah. It seems to be less people are isolated more. So their way out is, is either an online dating or an online forum or, you know, people, some people I, I know and have worked with um, have been have created very kind of uh, dazzling and uh, fascinating kind of online presences. Uh-huh. But they're not so much there as a as a dating prospect but yeah. as a as an online personality with uh, creativity involved very much in it uh, in terms of poetry and photographs mm-hmm. and um, and th- those people will you know gravitate to uh, like-minded people and there's a whole world of zines and you know uh, kind of visual art and stuff that's uh, that's happening, and you know, I, I get to hear about that from uh, some of my younger patients. Yeah. And, uh, well, so, it's it's yeah. interesting. What I'm hearing from what you're saying is kind of online presence begets online presence. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the more time you spend isolating yourself mm-hmm. with anything that mm-hmm. is virtual. Mm-hmm. the more likely you are to participate in a dating scene that is also virtual. Mm. Yeah, what I've seen is actually more people putting very circumscribed profiles, just kind of a a hint about, you know, who they are. Yeah. And then, you know, they kind of want to get to the encounter, um, mm-hmm. you know, to, to sort of meet the person who's swiped right. Uh, is that the direction you swipe? <laughs> that is the direct. <laughs> that's the, the positive. Le- what's the left? I what's think left? that right is the positive direction, <laughs> and left is, and no. Left is the no. <laughs> okay, well, then swiped right. As, you know, it seems to me, you know, when I'm talking about uh, people bringing in what they wrote about themselves itself, and a pretty brief paragraph, and they, you know, the, uh, I think it's an interesting area in terms of private and public. Um, spaces in our culture these days. Uh, I don't know if anybody reads The Scarlet Letter anymore. Yeah, but, uh, I read that in high school. Yeah, but that's a fabulous um, book, uh, you know, about private romance, desire, uh, intimacy versus or in, in the public sphere. So... Um, you know, Hester Prynne and Reverend Dimsdale have this illicit affair and they have a child. And when it's discovered, the, the public square, like the, the public judgment is, is very harsh and there's no hope really of uh, either Reverend Dimsdale or Hester Prynne getting a, uh, an individualized kind of unique hearing from mm. the public. I think there's a way in which Hawthorne was pointing at something that I think is true with online dating or uh, online presences even today, that uh, when you're dealing with a an audience of thousands and you're trying to have an, a relationship, you know, or, or a kind of a sense of self-discovery or something uh, involving kind of intimate interior experience, um, it's not that often that the public um, witnessing or experience of you, like a movie character or whatever, sort of can kind of 
resonate with the individual person inside that character. You mentioned the mystery of the dating apps and how Mm -hmm. when you see a new profile in front of you, Mm -hmm. there's a certain amount of fantasy that goes along with it. Mm -hmm. What do you think that brings to the table in terms of the dating scene, having that fantasy? Mm. And what does Freud say about that? (laughs) Um, Well, I I think think Freud would say that um, at the first encounter, whether it's an online picture and a profile or seeing somebody across the room at a, at a dance mm-hmm. or something like that, um, that there's a lot of projection that goes on in terms of, uh, you know, who you think this person is and uh, kind of how they strike you, who they remind you of, all these things that are, you know, active in the perceiver's mind when they see somebody either across the room or online. Can yeah. you explain yeah. to the listeners what projection is? Uh-huh. Just a general idea. Okay. Um, well, uh, it's kind of the attribution of qualities um, and um, traits to uh, a person that you don't know. Mm-hmm. But uh, because of the way they look or the vibe, or um, you create a you create a fantasy, uh, and it, it call it we call it projection because it's it is in a sense projected onto the the screen of this other person, the the, the body of the other person. What and, is being projected? One's ideas about who they are and, and what they're like. One's fantasies of... uh, And where do they get those ideas? The projector? Yes. (laughs) Well, they get them from their own past, childhood. Uh, Somebody reminds them of something. I mean, I tell you a a brief personal story. Um, I uh, saw a woman walk through a bus station uh, when I was in my 20s, and... uh, I was really drawn to her, and uh, we ended up on the same bus, and I boldly, somewhat more so than usual for me, I (laughs) I went went up to her, and I said, do you mind if I sit next to you? And she said, no, that's fine. So we chatted away all the way from New Haven to Boston, and I got a note back from her saying that the ride back wasn't nearly as fun. And and I actually ended up marrying her for about two years, but once we got to know each other, it wasn't, it wasn't meant to be really, and we mm. could both see that. So it was, a, huh. and that's it's a great example of projection because um, a few years later, I happened to have spent a couple of years in the South Pacific because my family was building a school uh, on, in Samoa, and I saw a picture of me with this little Samoan girl, and we were doing some kind of Samoan sitting on the ground dance where you'd make hand gestures. Uh-huh. And she was a dead ringer for this woman uh, that I, uh, Kate, that I'd seen in the bus station. So huh. that was an example of, I didn't know what drew me to her so much, and it was, but it was a kind of deja vu. What drew you to Kate? Yeah, to, okay. to say, can I sit next to you? And uh, found out a number of years later that she was a dead ringer for this childhood um, 
crush that I'd had wow. at six years old. So it was, you know, that. But that's that, a fascinating yeah. story. <laughs> so, so that's an example of projection. Yeah, yeah that is an example. And sometimes projection will be a memory, the whole person, or it'll be a, a trait. Like you'll you'll project that this other this person looks very sinister, or this person looks incredibly um, erotic, or you know, there's a, there's a kind of mixture of um, pheromones and fantasy that go on. I think in, a, in an early day. What is the difference between projection and transference? Um, you know, in a, in a formal sense, uh, uh, they're very similar. Uh, transference is kind of a compilation of projections uh, over time. Um, and it, it's sort of like uh, a book that gets revised many, many times. You know, they'd be projecting that, you know, say your analyst is really um, kind of a cold fish, and then time will go by and there'll be uh, some inter interactions that indicate there's a very warm-hearted person who's been listening to every word you said. And so that projection will get changed. Uh -huh. And that transference will be kind of a, a kind of a, um, like the whole novel uh, and the chapters and scenarios and scenes in the novel are various projections that talked about, experienced, tested out, and, you know. I thought that a projection was when you realize something about yourself that you don't like, so then you see it in somebody else. That's called projective identification. Okay. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's, a, that's a tricky one because, okay. uh, you know, if it happens to you, like if, if uh, you know, if I had some... Let's see, I can't think of one right now, but, it, um, you know, say uh, one might be, one might have a tendency to be a little grandiose. Uh -huh. um, and Can you explain what grandiose is? <laughs> well, yeah. I so know, this one I know, <laughs> <laughs> but to the listeners. Yeah, yeah uh, grandiose is uh, really... Um, you know, thinking you're pretty special, and everybody should know it, or should I, if they don't know it, they'll uh, they'll find out soon enough. Um, actually, there's a very brief uh, side trip into into the Eastern world and meditation stuff about grandiosity is uh, this wonderful phrase that I've found and often will quote to patients and friends, but it, which tells me I am every, uh, my heart tells me I am everything. My mind tells me I am nothing. And between those two, my life flows. Mm. And um, to me, that's sort of, you know, the heart is big and, you know, I mean, it's it's sort of also like a baby, but it, it, it's, uh, it's that kind of, I am everything, I can be anything and everything. Mm. Um, and then the critical mind, you know, kind of judging and saying, but not so fast. And, um, That's an example of grandiosity. Mm -hmm. Grandiosity up against judgment and intellectual, okay. uh, you know, cognition and reality and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, and I think we all kind of live somewhere in a balanced 
you know, in a balancing act between that uh, that heart and that mind, and you know, the one telling us we're everything, and yeah. the other tells us we're not. You know, kind of. It's interesting. It's one of the things I like about psychiatry that the terms are such umbrellas for a lot of different ideas. Like when I mm -hmm. hear the word grandiosity, I immediately think of a manic episode and a bipolar person. No, that's that's uh, pathology. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you yeah. can have grandiosity and have it not be pathological, is what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The sort of notion of of a trait that I might have but not like in myself. Mm -hmm. So I might tend to to view somebody as, oh, that person really thinks they're hot stuff. Yeah. Um, but I'm really, in a sense, I might be locating my own somewhat damped down uh, grandiosity into them, you know, as, a, as an example of um, something. But, you know, that projective identification is often a lot more difficult and nefarious and you know often will have to do with uh, like a trauma victim in in analysis of therapy who inevitably starts to experience the analyst as their traumatizing other whether it's a parent or a sibling or whatever mm -hmm. and that navigation of the projective identification or the the uh, that's an off, often a very key part of somebody getting, uh, working through uh, a serious trauma is is bringing it into the room so that it's not just a theoretical idea. It's very hard for the analyst to kind of bear the the experience of being perceived as an abuser, for mm -hmm. example. Um, but without that experience that the two of you can talk about, you know, my it really sounds like you're experiencing me as if as if I'm going to abuse you or I have you know that that moves that childhood trauma from you know kind of a frozen uh, fixed place in the person into a conversation in, uh, in, as an adult but it actually is often the kind of key part of how trauma gets um, work through. Is that an example of projection or of projective, projective identification? Projective identification. Even though it's not something and that they did? No, it is. You're right. It's it's projection. It's transference. It's, you know, it's sort of... It's all the things. It's all those things, but it's, it's experiencing the relatively neutral analyst as the collection of or the embodiment of this dreaded other the mm -hmm. one experienced a long time ago and that that's I mean, it sounds it sounds awful <laughs> yeah. but it, it really is often how somebody um, works through and emerges from a kind of a sense of expecting trauma every time they get close to somebody mm -hmm. or um, you know kind of being frightened of the world of intimacy mm -hmm. Um, so. so when it comes to the world of intimacy yeah. in the dating scene so we're back <laughs> how does identify how does projective identification uh. work in the setting of the dating apps hmm. hmm it's a very good question I, I, I don't 
You know, I think one might look at, uh, say, the, the way somebody's wearing their hair or what their, the outfit they're wearing or kind of the, the angle that they're presenting themselves at. If, you, if you're going to find yourself drawn to somebody and it's going to be on the basis of projective identification, um, then, you know, we'd have to say projective identification isn't always a, about an unwanted part of the self. It may be about a, a desired part of the self or, you know, it's sort of a, it's an attribution of a quality. Um, but if it's projection, it's, um, you know, it might be, well, this, this person looks like they really could, um, handle me when I'm really angry or cantankerous or, you know, they, they you know, it's, it's sort of projecting a, a, a relational role onto the other person that, you know, may or may not turn out to be the case, but at that point we only got the profile and the picture and stuff, you know, and deciding to swipe right, it might be based on, you know, something like that. So this is a very interesting topic and something I've thought about a lot in the context mm. of this episode. Okay. Is what are people looking for when they're on a dating app? And it probably does not have just one answer. I'm yeah. sure yeah. it's a personal yeah. choice and yeah. changes given the backgrounds and mm. the experiences of the people who are on the who are looking. Yeah. Um but the example that I'd like to use is from the movie Her. Oh, great. Which I know is a movie that we both <clears throat> like very much. Very much. I was hoping we'd get here. <laughs> We're here. <laughs> Good. Um, yeah. So there seems to be, like you were just saying, mm -hmm. this desire to be handled for your your good qualities mm -hmm. and also helped at your worst. Mm -hmm. yep. um, the movie Her, I think, suggests or it explores a case that is different than that, mm -hmm. at least to me. Mm -hmm. This was my own interpretation of the film, mm -hmm. but this is a movie mm -hmm. that stars Joaquin Phoenix. He falls in love with basically a little iPod. Who's the woman? Who's the is that Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson? Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, the sexiest voice of all time. <laughs> <laughs> one of them. Yeah. That's right. So that's projection. <laughs> <laughs> Exhibit A. <laughs> right, yeah. So he falls in love with this device. Yeah. Um, with like a very small computer that he carries around in his pocket, and mm -hmm. it's not that he's in love with the actual device itself, he is in love with the voice mm -hmm. that is, uh, he's in love with the voice of the program that he downloads in order to help him organize his life. They fall in love and mm -hmm. they start a relationship. Right. And he carries this little device around mm -hmm. as if she is his partner mm -hmm. and people are able to hear her Mm -hmm. She just doesn't exist in a human body. She calls herself Samantha. Mm -hmm. And 
she initially in their first encounter says that she's a machine that was made by a company but what makes me me is my ability to grow through my experiences i'm constantly evolving however my experience is now you exactly and i'm growing because of my interaction with you and i'm the i am the voice now speaking to you um as as if you've I've known you all my life, uh, and uh, and you know he's totally smitten by this experience of being known, which is it is sort of central to uh, what is uh, compelling and interesting about psychoanalysis is this sense of being known uh, in a way you didn't know you could be known, and uh, having things pointed out to you that. Become immediately true when they're noticed, but they were previously kind of off, offline, off stage that you, you know, you didn't know. Like um, somebody I know had a, it was you know kind of a tough childhood and uh, overlooked a lot, and um, at one point um, was standing in the different a different part of the waiting room. The analyst came out and. Uh, the analyst had a shocked look on his face. And so the person's on the couch and going on and on and on about, I'm sorry, I scared you. I know I, I could see the fear in your eyes. And, you know, and the analyst says, you're talking as if I don't know you. And mm-hmm. for the person hearing that realizes that, that is, that is uh, one of the summary statements you could make about the first six years of my life that I was feeling as if people didn't know me. So that that kind of recognition, I think, is happening with her, with Samantha. She's, she's kind of putting things together so she's a little ahead of Joaquin Phoenix sometimes. And she's like, he's falling in love with how she can sort of know his every whim. And he's dancing along the beach with her. So I would like to take it a step further yeah. and say, again, this is my own interpretation of it, but I would say that it's not just that she knows him. Mm-hmm. I would say it's that she is him. Mm-hmm. Her experiences are entirely based on what she hears from Theodore. They're entirely based in her interactions with this one person. Right, but she, she, um, she, she, they do, she draws them from him, but then she, she reflects them back to him as if it's coming from another. Exactly. So it's, it's this otherness of his own voice that creates this love affair in a way, or it, or it, it you could say that uh, is what he's falling in love with, but he's, He's not aware. It's sort of like he's um, he's in love, um, and it's it's not just with himself. He's in love with this otherness, um, I think, and uh, he just doesn't know how. It, it, it's it's not clear to him what her motives are. I mean, because he's so. Uh, caught up in in the, the the being known and the anticipation of his of his every thought and in which she's drawing from him and then you know the tragic thing and I think it's sort of a it's an incredible story for our current age which is the 
the way in which the externalization of knowledge and the digitization of uh, knowledge and experience can move at such a rapid rate that uh, there's something iconic about the end of the movie, which is that, you know, she, Samantha, the OS, runs off with the other OSs that are moving at light speed and so in a sense he's abandoned by um, the digital world which is moving faster and faster and I think one of the things that made that movie so compelling to me anyway and people I know who loved that movie is that it's it can feel like a story for our time that uh, the ways in which things move so fast and we can we can feel known, but we also, you know, we we love these iPhones, we love these computers, and then in a sense, uh, we start to feel, you know, maybe a little empty or a little, a little like uh, they've got another GD update for <laughs> for the operating system on the phone, and you have to relearn it again, and it sort of starts to become less than a romance and more of a struggle to kind of keep up with it. Yeah. Uh, um, so. I think, I mean, this is one of the things about the, the beauty of film, but I think that we have interpreted the movie in two different ways. I agree mm -hmm. with you, mm -hmm. but to me, this movie was more an exploration of narcissism on uh -huh. the scene of dating uh -huh. and how this guy, Theodore, played uh -huh. the Joaquin Phoenix character, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wants to hear his own thoughts mm. back to him essentially mm. like mm -hmm. when she learns how to laugh for example it's because uh -huh. she learns it from him uh -huh. and eventually she develops in a way that allows her to connect with the other os's mm -hmm. but initially she is only his and mm -hmm. he is in love with a reflection mm -hmm. of his own behavior Mm -hmm. out of a sexy Scarlett Johansson voice. Uh -huh. And my question to you... So that's Narcissus, Narcissus looking into the exactly. reflection of the river and basically falling in to the river in falling in love with uh, his reflection. Exactly. Yeah. And it's why you don't it's why he doesn't really need a body attached to the OS. Mm. Like, sex in the movie, for example, is significantly better for him when it's just the vocal on a completely black screen mm -hmm. compared to when it's this awkward encounter with someone who's mm -hmm. hired to come in and impersonate her as mm -hmm. a real body. He doesn't know what to do with it. Right. Yeah, that's right. So in the context of mm -hmm. online dating, mm -hmm. it is my own understanding, at least given... Hmm. what I learned and thought about after this movie, that hmm. some people are looking for containers for uh, people to handle them, like we were saying. Mm -hmm. But I think some people are just looking for themselves. Hmm. Do you think uh -huh. that that is you possible? they're lost and looking for themselves? Or, they're or looking they're... to date someone who understands them because they are exactly like them. Ah. Hmm. What do you think about that? Well, I think uh, they're looking to be understood. Um, 
I, I suppose, you know, at the point of um, choosing um, and, you know, engaging with some, uh, with in the early dating phase following two people swiping right, uh, that um, there can be um, a trail that links back to their before they actually met in person, you know, their kind of uh, fantasies about the other person. And although I haven't, you know, treated somebody, I'm sort of just using my clinical imagination to think of of the presence of that uh, early uh, imprint, you know, uh, like ducks following their mother, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, that each of them may be struggling in the, in the quote-unquote real-world dating process that they're now involved with. Um, They may be struggling with the relinquishment or the revision of what they had as an original fantasy about that other person. Can you describe that to me? Do you think that someone is more likely to be looking for someone who's different from them, who's Mm, able to handle uh, them, or somebody who is very much like them or Uh, is it personal and you can never tell i would imagine that if if you were to do a study of uh there were a way to study that somehow um, you could find people who are uh, looking for somebody who um feels like a a reflection or a, a bookend or a or, you know, a kind of version of themselves. You know, they're looking for a twin in a way or another, um, which is a kind of transference, sort of twinning, you know, seeing the other as very uh, much a kind of a, an other self, you know, but but uh, sort of a... And you think that happens frequently? I don't know about, you know, if it does in online dating, it certainly does in, uh, you know, in the in the analytic work, uh, this man in Chicago is now passed away, Heinz Kohut, who did probably the most co- a cohesive piece of clinical research and writing about narcissistic uh, relationships and narcissism. And he, he developed a term called a self-object, which is um, where, say, I would treat you as if you were an extension of me, you know, like... Um, and your experience of that would be increasingly annoying and to- you know kind of toxic because you would feel like it doesn't see me at all. You know, mm-hmm. sort of, um, you know, it's just sort of uh, I'm I'm a I'm a handler, or I'm, I'm a you know mm-hmm. kind of his you know sort of a limit setter, or I'm a you know sex partner or a whatever kind yeah. of uh, muse, you know, uh, so. Uh, that's that's a form of narcissism. Kohat's idea was that people form narcissistic connections in order to repair uh, early childhood deprivation and uh, a lack of uh, connection with their early caregivers, and that they're they're really looking for some very early, you know, as if, as if like the a twelve month old baby is now in a 30 or five year old body and it's still looking to be held and doted on. Um, 
not really to destroy the other person, but really to begin growing again. So that he, you know, I mean, he treated a lot of, and narcissists can be wearing and tiring and stuff, but they can also be, they can also grow, and it can turn out that they, they needed something about that narcissistic connection that helped them grow so they could give it up, you know, mm-hmm. kind of move beyond it. That making any sense? Yes, very much. Yeah. Do you agree with that? What about the notion of uh, narcissism being? Uh, Do you agree that a person in a relationship uh-huh. who treats the other person like they would want to be treated, mm-hmm. or as if that person is them? Mm-hmm. Do you think that that person? Those two. Those are two different choices. Mm, yeah, you're yeah. right. Okay. Yeah, do you think that someone in a relationship who treats the other person like that person is them, uh-huh. like that person is a a, narci- a narcissist reflection of themselves, uh-huh. Uh-huh. do you think that that person usually had a lack of attention during childhood or is looking for that type of care? Well, um, you know, that. I mean, that, that scenario of... Um, Somebody who's being treated as a as a narcissistic reflection can go well, or it can go very badly. I mean, it, you know, it, it depends on what starts to change and what happens when, say, if it were you and me that we're talking about, if you started to say, you know, I'm really not who you think I am. You're you're, you're treating me as if I'm you, and you know, the, the um, struggle around emergence of independence and the other mm-hmm. you know that that could be uh, a good thing for the narcissist that you know they could say you know I, you're the first person who's told me that or this is the first time i've really seen that i do that i've been doing that for a long time and then that can be a whole cracking of a shell and a birth of a, of a much more reasonable mm. uh, partner um i think maybe you know and this is a again kind of a uh, an effort to sort of link it up with online dating. I wonder if one of the things that wears people out is that they're continually subjected to uh, a person who's disappointed because you show up as your real self and you begin to get the sense during the date that you're already a disappointment because you're not that fantasy or that reflection of the other person mm. that they thought you were. I could get very wearing. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I think, I guess, you know, having a therapist, somebody to go back and talk with about that, you know, and having that kind of affirmed that if that's what's happening, you know, you may need to give it a break and, you know, but, uh, and I, su- I suppose that people can have a run of that where they have, they run into five or six really kind of, hard-boiled, encased narcissists and go home thinking that was a waste of time, or, mm. you know. Yeah. Uh, or worse, if it goes on for three or four dates and then it becomes apparent that they're, yeah. you know, uh, dealing with a real narcissist, and that's... But, I, you know, I think I think a lot of people are using the online, and it's, it's kind of a mode of connecting, and I... Like I was saying at the beginning, I know a lot of people who are now married and 
whether they met on Bumble or Bumple. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to ask you about another thing that people might be seeking when they're looking mm. online. Mm-hmm. And this thought comes from a movie that's called Ruby Sparks that mm-hmm. stars Paul Dano. Mm-hmm. And this is a movie um, about a novelist who's struggling with writer's block, mm-hmm. who creates a female character mm-hmm. who is his ideal woman, his mm-hmm. muse, and who th- he thinks will love him. Mm-hmm. And then she comes to life. Mm-hmm. And whatever he writes mm-hmm. throughout their relationship, she will do. Mm. And this eventually culminates in this scene mm. where he reveals to her that he's able to control her. So mm. he writes, Ruby speaks French, and she starts speaking French. Mm. He writes, Ruby barks like a dog, she barks like a dog. And it's mm. this extremely traumatic scene for her. It's beautifully done in the movie. And mm. then she runs off and uh, essentially disappears. They end up... Mm. I don't... I don't love the way the movie ends like the mm. end kind of wraps it up in a bow too nicely mm. for me to be honest yeah. he like finds her and her memory is sort of wiped for who knows why and mm. then they walk off into the sunset as like a new pair oh wow but yeah that is uh, it's a, too yeah, that, it's, I, it's no. <laughs> that's gonna it's be a, a no for you're me. making me think of my fair lady i mean you know professor higgins is a language teacher and he takes this gutter snipe and teaches her how to speak and it's not unlike the muse in a way. I mean, he's not struggling with writer's block, but he's he's certainly got a, a, a impoverished intimacy life. And uh, so, anyway, she starts to rebel against being trotted out as a perfect English speaker and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And she just sort of, you know, really rebels, has a big tantrum, and he uh, realizes uh, that he's own accustomed to her face and you know there's a kind that of great song <laughs> that three so, note range of yeah what's his name rex harrison, rex harrison yes <laughs> right he could manage that and it's, it was very but anyway it's a uh, that that creation of uh you know uh the female ideal or and i mean it's it's a little more complicated in the in this movie ruby sparks which i will definitely uh would, would like to see because i'd like to see how that works and i'll, I'll uh, be wary of the ending but i i think the notion of of a being who discovers that they're being their every move is being controlled uh and uh the um impersonalization you know the kind of uh, uh you know the, just the human spirit that rebels against that if that's what happens when she runs off versus, you know, she can't. So talk to me a little bit about that. What do you, what do you mean when you say, are, do you mean that the, that a control, a person who feels controlled is generally at some point going to rebel? I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I I really do, and I I think in general, you know, from a psychoanalytic point of view, that's, if we're working with somebody who's in a 
relationship where they're being controlled. Uh, we are, I think, rightly viewed by the controller, who maybe the spouse, man or woman, as an enemy, because we're, you know, basically trying to um, give the uh, the controlled person more strength to be themselves and to, mm-hmm. you know, I think I think that's one of the issues in online dating apps is that, you know, sooner or later for the relationship to be rewarding and happy and generative and successful, uh, it has to have, you know, two people, uh, not not just a, a reflection of uh, somebody who's just like me, but but uh, it's really the differences and the, and the being able to fight well and mm-hmm. being able to navigate uh, and compromise mm-hmm. and, um, you know, really come to even love the parts of the other person that initially you had a hard time standing. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting area here, and uh, I feel like you've been teaching me about as much as I've been teaching you. Well, thank you. I'm glad. <laughs> I think in in Ruby Sparks that part of it is the control, mm-hmm. and I think part of it part of it is about how if you control your partner, if you are a controlling partner, mm-hmm. your relationship isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. But part of it is about how if your partner is a pure reflection of your own fantasy, it is Mm -hmm. also not going to work. And this, to me, is very interesting because Mm -hmm. I think, like you said, when you're swiping through Mm -hmm. the the app Mm -hmm. and there are thousands of people to swipe through... Yeah, that must be... I mean, that's... That must really be quite an experience. Yeah. Often people are... A gallery of people. A gallery of people. Often the person using the app is looking for their fantasy, for something Mm -hmm. very specific. Mm -hmm. And when they find it, and if they Mm -hmm. chat with that person, if they meet that person, any of these things, Mm -hmm. they are inevitably set up to be, like you said... Be a disappointment. Be a disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. There's going to right. be some yeah. point where the person realizes that their fantasy is not, in fact, met on every level. Mm-hmm. And the person who is trying to date them is going to feel mm-hmm. inadequate. And it, does it become a tussle between the attachment to the fantasy versus the attachment to this new person that you gotten into a relationship with you know we were talking a little while ago about self-object and what does that mean yeah this ruby sparks uh, movie is is a is a beautiful example of what i was trying to say what a self-object is that this woman this muse is like a self-object she she is his uh, instrument to work through his writer's block you know she she Guides him, or you know, but he, uh, it, in a in a narcissistic way, it's not like he wants this muse or 
this person who led him out of the darkness to be free or be herself. He, he wants to show how much he controls her. And mm. that, that really is the, the tragedy of that, the way that goes, that mm. he, he can't, uh, he can't sort of be like Henry Higgins and realize he's, that he misses her, that he's mm. grown accustomed to her face and kind of mm. wants to know who she is behind this. Right, the mystery uh, is gone when yeah, you're in full to, control. Right, that's right, that's right. Do you think that dating apps are kind of a setup in a way where we are going off of the idea that we're going to find our fantasy, mm -hmm. but in reality, it's setting us up to not like something about the person and mm. that that's more common when you're dating from an app than if you meet that person in real life? Hmm. I'm tempted to ask what you think. Uh, mm. I think a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that it's a lot easier to find issues with someone who you have high expectations for. Mm -hmm. And a dating app definitely sets you up for that. Mm -hmm. And it's important to keep an open mind and remember that you're going into this to meet a new person mm -hmm. as opposed to your fantasy of who that person is. Right. That's a great, I mean, it's it's a really interesting question, and uh, I've never thought before of how one, as a therapist, might coach somebody who, you know, like I said at the beginning, you know, shy people or lonely people or, you know, people who've been burned by a relationship and they're kind of sunk into more of a hermetic, a hermit-like relationship. <laughs> uh, life for a while and is sort of trying to get them to get back out there. Um, it seems to me that one important piece of coaching might be there's no way to know what this person is going to be like and this is a this is a way of encountering another person so don't put too much stock in what you think it's going to be like. Just you know, pick somebody. It's a way of meeting people. You know, it's uh, it's not a process of finding your Prince Charming or your Sleeping Beauty. It's uh, you know, it's just a way of meeting uh, another person and seeing what happens. Uh, mm -hmm. So, trying to really um, curtail the pressure, the pressure, and the development of a whole fantasy about this other person. You know. So the less you develop the fantasy, the more likely you are to succeed, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine, actually, I've seen ads for, like, Match.com. They're just like a second cousin to Viagra ads or something. like that. They're kind of, you know, they show people just blissfully going off into the sunset or, you know, finding the perfect match. And it's So the... the the creators of the app are selling 
the ideal experience. Mm-hmm. And they're sort of saying, this is what you'll find here if you use our app uh, somehow. I think that that's, I mean, that's, a, that's this sort of commercial, personal thing we're struggling with with our rampant capitalist society. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, too much emphasis on making money. And uh, I think making money from people's desire to find intimacy is not totally criminal, but it's, it's a little exploitative, I think. To be taken with a grain of salt. Exactly. <laughs> Big one. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dr. Paulson, for coming today and for chatting with yeah. me. Well, I hope it was useful. It's been fun for me. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks so much. Okay, great. Thank you for listening to Freudian Flex, produced by myself and Daniel Radin. Original music by Nicholas Guarnada. You can follow us on Instagram at Freudian Flex. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us on iTunes. Till next time. <laughs>